Well, it's great to be back with you guys this morning. I, I want to real quick thank uh, Josh. Josh, you've seen him many times playing keyboards for us. Josh and his family actually go to community church that meets here on Sunday evenings, but Ross is over at Anderson, and Josh was very gracious in leading us in worship very skillfully this morning. So thank you very much for that. That was wonderful. Uh, well, this morning, uh, we are celebrating some neat stuff. Baptism, our first one here. I don't know if you saw it coming in. We're going to actually do baptisms in front of the Rose Garden over there. So that's, that's pretty fun. Um, this is actually a big weekend for our church, not only because it's our first baptism, but also because yesterday it was our first wedding here at the Southwood campus. Yeah, it went well. The building worked okay. The roof didn't fall down, nothing like that. went really great. So it was really exciting to see this wedding in this facility. We kind of dreamed about what would it be like. It went well, and we're excited. We hope there'll be more of them. Uh, the folks who got married, one of them was our, one of our college interns, Danny Stimson, got married to a girl named Andrea Loveless. And my, my hope for them, my prayer for them, is that that ceremony yesterday, that in, in the years to come, they will remember it well. They'll remember lots of things about yesterday. I hope they remember their wedding day better than, than I remember mine. Mine happened about, about six years ago, and I don't know if you share this with me. Uh, that day was so overwhelming. It was so full of emotions and tension and nervousness getting up in front of people that it's like all a blur to me. It's really hard for me just six years later to remember all the details of my wedding. I was kind of uh, thinking back uh, over the last few days, and I remember four things uh, pretty clearly, just, just four things really from that day. Number one, I, I remember waking up Saturday morning, day of my wedding, in abject terror uh, because, and here's why, uh, just, just a few short uh, hours from now, Julie and I were going to be heading to Jamaica on our honeymoon, and I had no clue where my passport was. We had moved me out of a, an apartment. I had no idea where it got packed, so fortunately we found it. That went well. Um, I, I remember feeling overwhelmed at the reception. There's so many people. They all want to shake my hand. I can't remember today if you were there or not. I'm sorry. If you were at my wedding and I don't remember, it's because it all blends together. There were just so many people. Uh, let's see, number three, I remember uh, the uncomfortable feeling of having handfuls of rose petals shoved down my underwear by my roommate Richard Ruxashel and our college pastor Trey Corey. I don't know if he's in here, if he remembers that. But yeah, two of them grabbed my pants on the way out of the wedding <clears throat> and shoved rose petals down. That, that wasn't my, my favorite part of the wedding. Uh, finally, <laughs> my, my most profound memory from my wedding day was the feeling of, of man, this is something special. I felt like this was a really solemn day. It was a day like any other. It just, the whole day felt different than any other day. It felt really, really special. Okay, the interesting thing, though, is as I've spent time in the Word of God this week, what I've come to believe is as special and as solemn as the day of my wedding was, it pales in comparison to the day of my baptism. Scripturally speaking, as significant as your wedding day is, it is nothing compared to the day of your wedding. Now, it doesn't feel that way. When I got baptized about 20 years ago, little boy in this little sanctuary in Tomball Bible Church, didn't feel all that solemn, didn't feel all that special. For my wedding, we spent months in preparation. For my baptism, a few minutes. For my wedding, I wore a tuxedo. For my baptism, swimsuit t-shirt. My wedding was followed by dinner and dancing. My baptism, little paper certificate. It didn't feel that solemn, and yet, scripturally speaking, the Bible tells me that in God's eyes, there is no public event in the course of my life that can compare with the day of my baptism. That is the most significant public event in my life in the eyes of God. It trumps even my wedding day. And so my goal for this sermon this morning, my hope, is to convey to you how significant baptism is, how important it is in the eyes of God. I want to prove to you that the day of your baptism really is more significant than the day of your wedding. 
Now, to get there, we're going to take a bit of a roundabout path this morning. I need to cover a number of things. We're going to start with a little definition. What is baptism? What do we mean by baptism? Well, that word is actually an English transliteration of a Greek verb, baptizo. And outside of your Bibles, that verb was was used to refer to something being dipped into a liquid, being submerged or soaked with water or another liquid. That's what the word originally meant. But then we get into the Bible, into the, the Gospels, and we meet this guy, this character named John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And we find that this word is being used in his ministry of a ceremony, a rite that all of his followers went through in water to connect them with his ministry. Okay, John was sent to earth to prepare the nation of Israel for the coming of their Messiah, their king. And the way that you get ready for the Messiah to come was, number one, you obey the Mosaic law, which the nation of Israel was still under at that time. And number two, you get baptized in water. To, to show to everybody that you're ready for Jesus to come. And what we learn from John the Baptist is this ceremony of baptism is all about identification. It's all about identifying us with something. In John's case, identifying the Jews with the coming kingdom of Jesus. Now, Jesus dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, and then he appropriates this symbol. He takes this ceremony and he applies it to his church followers. And he calls all of us to be baptized in water to identify ourselves with him. Now, I want you to turn, our primary passage this morning is Romans chapter 6. If you'll turn there. Romans chapter 6. We're not in the wisdom literature this morning. We're kind of stepping out for for this special sermon. Romans chapter 6. We're just going to read a few short verses at this point and see what Paul has to say about baptism. What is it that baptism identifies us with? If you will look with me, starting in verse 3 of chapter 6 of Romans. Paul says, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, what Paul is telling us here is that in baptism, what we're really being identified or connected or united to is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul uses very interesting terminology here. If you study the grammar, what Paul is saying is in baptism, it's not as if you are dying. It's as if God transports you 2,000 years ago and you places you in Jesus when he was on the cross and in Jesus when he was in the grave and in Jesus as he rose from the dead so that it can truly be said of you 2,000 years ago, if you've been baptized, you died and rose from the dead. 2,000 years ago, you were in Christ when he hung on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and rose from the dead. You died and rose from the dead with Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is doing. It's uniting you, identifying you with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, We we shouldn't miss the significance of what Paul's saying here. He tells us in Galatians 2.20, because of our baptism, he can say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul's telling us that if you've been baptized, you are a dead man walking in newness of life. You really did die with Jesus on the cross. You really did rise from the dead with him. That's Paul's point. That's what baptism is all about. Now, at this point, we need to pause 
At this point, we need to answer the theological problem that this passage creates for us. Look at verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. It sounds like Paul is saying that through baptism, we're united to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That through baptism, we are saved. We are connected to Jesus. So, the question I want to answer for a few minutes is, is it baptism that saves us? Is baptism necessary for salvation? Is it what unites me to Jesus Christ? Now, I used to deflect this question by concluding that Romans 6 was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. But uh, I don't think that's what the original readers were thinking. Holy Spirit's not mentioned anywhere here. What do you think of when you hear the word baptism? You think of water, don't you? Well, that's what they thought of. They're thinking water baptism. So how is it that Paul can say water baptism is what unites us to the death and resurrection of Jesus? Is baptism what saves us? Is it required for salvation? Well, the simple answer is no. No, it's not. You have to keep in mind the context of the book of Romans. Remember, this letter was meant to be read from beginning to end in one sitting at one time. So about five minutes ago, the original readers would have heard Romans 4 and 5. So turn with me there. Look with me at Romans 4 and 5. We're going to start at the beginning of chapter 4. Paul says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 4, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, and he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. What Paul is saying is that salvation, righteousness, justification, these come through faith. Through belief. It's faith alone that saves us. That's why Paul reaches a conclusion at the beginning of chapter 5. Look at verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, faith in what? Faith in what for justification? Look at the previous verse, verse 25 of chapter 4. He, that is Jesus, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. In other words, how are we saved? How are we justified, declared righteous in God's sight? Through faith that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could become righteous. That's the gospel. How are we saved? Through faith alone, through simple belief in two things about Jesus. That Jesus came and number one, he died on the cross for our sins. And number two, he rose from the dead. Now let's make this really practical for a moment. Hypothetical situation. Let's say you go home today. And your neighbor comes and knocks on your door and they have had an awful weekend, really hard weekend, and they're at a crisis. And they know that you are a Christian and they see the peace that's in your life. And so they ask you, how can I have a relationship with God? How can I know that I will spend eternity with God in heaven after I die? What do you say? Is it by coming with you to church on Sunday mornings? No. No, coming to church, that's a work. And Paul says works can't save you. Okay, is it by being baptized? No, baptism is a work. It's a deed that we do. It can't save you. What is the answer? Faith. If they want to have a relationship with God in this life and spend eternity with him in the next, all they have to do is believe two things about Jesus. That Jesus came and died on the cross for their sins and then rose from the dead. 
If they will believe those two things, and in that instant of belief, God looks down from heaven and he says, I forgive you forever. I declare you righteous. You are now my child. I give you eternal life and you can never lose it. Salvation comes at the moment of belief. It is only by faith. Now, I encourage you, if that happens, if you have the opportunity to share the gospel with a neighbor or with your kids or with a coworker, please keep it really, really simple. I encourage you, I kind of tell parents, um, leave out the Christian lingo, like the, the phrase, ask Jesus into your heart. Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? I, I don't know. That's kind of a confusing term. Keep it really, really simple. Really focus simply on belief. Everybody can understand. It's really simple. All you have to do to have a relationship with God forever is simply believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead. Whether a child, a neighbor, or a coworker, if they'll believe those two things about Jesus, they are forever saved. Okay, that brings us now to the problem of chapter 6. If that's what Paul is teaching, and it's interesting, from chapters 1 to 5 of Romans, baptism never appears. The word baptism never shows up. Okay, so if that's the case, why in chapter 6 does Paul say that it is through water baptism that we are united to Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection? Why is that? Well, if we're going to understand Romans chapter 6, if we're going to interpret it rightly, I have to share with you guys a principle of interpretation, a little, little rule that you should always use when you read Scripture. Whenever you open the Bible and you read a passage, never, never read the controversies of your day back into the Bible. Now, for us, baptism is a hugely controversial thing. The last 500 years, baptism has been a very touchy subject in the church. There have been whole books written by theologians over subjects like, is baptism necessary for salvation? Should we baptize infants or just adults? Should we baptize by sprinkling or immersion? And these aren't just theological questions. These have been serious things in the last few hundred years. During the Reformation, 1500 to 1700 A.D., A group of believers studied scripture and came to the conclusion, we don't think that we should be baptizing our infants. We think that we should be baptized as adults once we've trusted in Jesus. Okay, a challenge for them is, is that both the Roman Catholic Church and most Protestants, followers of Luther, followers of Calvin, others, all still baptized their infants. And during the Reformation from 1500 to 1700, if you disagreed with me, then I called you what? Heretic. And heresy was punishable by death. So from 1500 to 1700 A.D., 4 to 5,000 Anabaptists, that's what these people came to be called, were executed both by Catholics and by Protestants. Now, the preferred method of execution, as the diagram shows, is you take an adult Anabaptist, you bind their hands and their feet, and you dunk them in the lake and hold them down with that stick that guy's holding on the left till they drowned. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Basically, you were saying, well, these Anabaptists, they want to be baptized. Let's give them their wish. We'll throw them in the, in the lake. We'll just hold them down longer than they want it. So that's, that's what happened. Baptism is a pretty touchy subject, isn't it? People died over their beliefs in baptism. So we get to Romans 6, we see the word baptism and our red flags go up. Like, okay, we got to make sure our side wins in this passage. We got to make sure our side wins in this debate. Problem is, back in Paul's day, absolutely no one was asking the question, does baptism save you? No one was asking, is baptism necessary for salvation? There was no controversy over baptism. That question never even came to anybody's mind. There was no tension when you talked about baptism. Back in the New Testament church, you believed in Jesus and you got baptized and that was it. No one made a big deal over it. There was no tension. There were none of these controversies. In fact, look with me at at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Leave your finger in Romans 6 and 
flip over to the left, Acts chapter 8. Let's look at what baptism looked like back in the early church. Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 35. And what's going on here, Philip is a believer, and he is sharing his faith with, with a, a eunuch, a guy from Ethiopia, uh, who, who wants to know how he can have a relationship with God. Look what happens, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Throughout the Bible, baptism is an incredibly simple thing. You place your faith in Jesus, and somebody dunks you. Like within minutes. Within minutes of placing your faith in Jesus, you were baptized. If you look at Acts 10, the other reference, same deal. Peter's preaching to a whole household. They all accept Jesus. Peter says, bring the water. Let's go right now. Let's baptize them. Baptism was incredibly simple in the New Testament. It's very interesting. When you look through the New Testament, you will never see a single example of a believer who chooses not to be baptized. Everybody got baptized within minutes of trusting in Jesus. And here's why. First of all, it's because Jesus commanded it. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So baptism was a command. But second, they did it because baptism was the way that you publicly demonstrate the faith that you had just exercised in Jesus. Faith is an an internal thing. I can't see your faith. So let's say you just placed your faith in Jesus. And now, how do you show us all that? You get baptized. So everyone got baptized immediately. So that's why it's not a problem when Paul gets to Romans 6 to say baptism, water baptism is what unites us to Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul's saying water baptism is what saves us. It's not a problem because in the minds of the original readers, salvation by faith was so linked to water baptism. You believed and moments later you were dunked that you could use one word to refer to the whole thing. You can say baptism as a shorthand reference to all of conversion. Now, I was trying to think of an example of this. How do I illustrate this? My wife gave me the best, best idea. Let's say you just met me in the store, and you asked me, Blake, are you married? And I lift my left hand, and I point at this ring. What am I saying? Yes, I'm saying I'm married. But um, does, this, does this little ring, this piece of metal, is this what makes me married to Julie? If I take this off and set it on the counter so I can work on the plumbing in my house, am I unmarried as long as this ring is off my hand? No. What's my marriage based on? It's based on the covenant I entered into in the sight of God with Julie on that stage on the day of our wedding. That's what it's based on. This is just a symbol of it. Okay, but in our culture, this symbol is so connected to the truth, to the reality of marriage, that I can simply point at this and you know what I mean. My ring is not what makes me married to Julie, but they're so connected. Same thing in the Bible. Baptism is so connected to salvation through faith that an author can point at this one to mean this one. Does that make sense to you guys? The truth, salvation by faith, so connected to the symbol of baptism that you can say baptism to refer to all of it. That's what's going on in Romans 6 and other passages that cause us tension over baptism. Just forget the tension. It wasn't there back in Paul's day. Now, there is an application from this real quick. What does this all mean to us? Well, uh, it means that we really all need to get baptized. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've believed that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead and you have not yet been baptized since believing that message, it's time. 
It's time to be baptized. You're kind of living in this weird limbo state that's nowhere represented in Scripture. Between belief and baptism in Scripture, it happens within minutes. It's time to step up and get baptized. That's how we publicly demonstrate the faith we have exercised in Jesus. In the New Testament, baptism is really looked at as the icing on the cake of your conversion. It's how you immediately follow it up to display it to the world. So let me challenge you this week. If you're here this morning and you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, but you haven't yet been baptized, please, will you this week, every day, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him, Lord, is it time for me to be baptized? Can you help me step up and be baptized? Now, I know baptism can be tricky. Uh, Number one, a lot of people feel real nervous about the thought of getting up in front of everybody. I know that can be nerve-wracking. Pray that God would give you boldness, courage to step up and be baptized. For others, baptism is tricky because there's some family tensions over it. Maybe you were baptized as an infant or there's different beliefs within your family about baptism. That's okay. This is a great opportunity to talk through those and show one another grace. If you want to talk through the theology of baptism or how to handle all that, come talk to me or one of the other pastors here. We would love to help you work through baptism. But don't let any of those things delay you. Don't let them hold you back. Baptism is meant for all of us. It's how we demonstrate our faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, with that said, I think we can get back to our original question this morning. If baptism is something all of us should do, why is it such a big deal in God's eyes? Why is baptism so significant to God? I want to walk you through that for a moment. I want to prove to you the statement that I made earlier that the day of your baptism really is more significant than the day of your wedding. Now, your wedding day, it's not hard to see why that's significant. You make this huge covenant in the sight of God, and it brings huge changes. Before my marriage to Julie, I lived with guys. Now I live with a girl. Before my marriage with Julie, I made decisions on my own. Now I make them with someone else. Before my marriage to Julie, I pursued my own interests. Now I pursue our interests together. It made huge changes in my life, very significant. And yet, that's nothing compared to the changes that we declare in our baptism. I want to give you four things that baptism declares, four changes that it declares. Number one, it declares the new faith that you have. Baptism is perhaps the single greatest evangelistic moment that any of us will have. When else are you going to stand up in front of 250 people and declare your faith in Jesus Christ? That's what Jill and Bethany and Gib are about to do at the end of this service when they do their baptism. That's the first change they declare is that they have chosen to place their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of their sins. That's huge, huge evangelistic moment. What's really neat for the three of them is in a crowd this large, I can pretty much guarantee you there is at least one person here who has not yet trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They're sitting on the fence. There's something holding them back from believing that that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. Well, it could be that the, the testimony of one of these three people will be the tool that God will use this morning to bring that person to faith and change their eternal destiny. For Jill and Bethany and Gib, this is an incredibly significant moment. They get to be a tool in God's hands to draw people to Christ. Incredible. That's the first big thing we declare in our baptism. Second, we publicly declare in our baptism that we no longer have any excuse for sin. Go back to Romans 6. Hopefully you were marking Romans 6. Look with me at some of the context there. We read verses 3 through 5 that talked about our baptism. Let's pick it up from there and see what the results are of that baptism in Paul's eyes. Pick it up with me in verse 6. So because of your baptism... Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who is died is freed from sin. 
In other words, what Paul is telling us is that in our baptism, we declare to the world that we believe that we have died to sin. We believe that we are no longer slaves of sin. Sin is not our master. We cannot be coerced to sin. We are free to obey God. More than that, look back at verse 4 that we read earlier. What else does baptism declare? Not only that I died to sin, but look middle of verse 4. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. In my baptism, I declare that I believe that Christ's resurrection power indwells me, that I am filled with the divine power of God so that I might live a new life, a righteous life. In other words, Paul's giving us a lot of theology that all boils down to this. Once you're baptized, you no longer can ever make an excuse for sin. Baptism is your declaration to all of us. Hey, I believe I'm dead to sin and filled with the divine power of God. That means that when you sin, you're doing it by your free choice. Nothing's coercing you there. It takes away any excuse you'd ever have for sin. And that makes possible the third big declaration. Because we are freed from the power of sin and filled with the power of God, baptism becomes for us a public commitment to follow Jesus. Baptism and marriage are are really very similar in a lot of ways. On the day of my marriage, I declared publicly my commitment to be faithful to Julie. So in my baptism, I publicly declare my commitment to be faithful to Jesus. You see that connection, Matthew 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Notice the connection between baptism and obedience. Baptism is when you enter into this commitment to obey Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. Again, it's it's a lot like marriage. On the day that I was married to Julie, whether they realized it or not, all the guests that we had invited that witnessed our marriage, guess what they now had? By coming to our marriage, they now had accountability over Julie and I for the rest of our lives. That's why being invited to a a Christian wedding is so significant. Somebody invites you to a Christian wedding, you need to realize whether the bride and groom realize it or not, you are being invited by God to come in and hold those two people accountable to their vows for the rest of their lives. That's what marriage is. When I made my vows to Julie publicly, I gave everybody in the room permission to hold me accountable. If one of those people who saw my wedding sees me flirting with another woman in the the grocery store, it is not just their right, but their responsibility to rebuke me. Because they were there. They saw the vow I made to Julie in the sight of God. I placed myself for the rest of my life at their feet in accountability. And that's exactly what baptism is. In baptism, we declare for all to see, this is the moment that I declare to you my commitment to be faithful to Jesus. During the day of my baptism, I invited those couple hundred people in Tombaugh Bible Church to hold me accountable for the rest of my life to my faithfulness to Jesus. They had the right to pray for me, to encourage me, to support me, and when I sinned, to rebuke me, to draw me back. This is a really big day for Jill and Bethany and Gibb. This is the day they declare to you their commitment to follow Jesus. This is the day they make themselves accountable to us as a body. Finally, fourth thing that baptism declares, fourth big change in our life. Baptism is the moment we publicly join the church. Paul says in Galatians 3, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are all one. In the moment of your baptism, you are declaring that you are now a member of Jesus Christ's body, the church. 
not so much a member of one local church, but you're a member of his body, the church. Okay, that's why here at Grace Bible Church we require baptism for membership. You have to be baptized because baptism biblically is what you do to say, I want to be a member of Christ's church. In this sense, baptism is really an act of submission for us. In baptism, we say to all who are there, I submit myself to the God-appointed leadership of this body. We say, I submit myself to the needs of this body, to support this body with my time and talents and money, because now I'm one with it. I'm a member of it. In baptism, we submit ourselves to the fate of this body. As this body prospers, so I prosper. As this body suffers, so I suffer. We join ourselves to the fate of this body. And in baptism, we submit ourselves to the mission of this body. We willingly say, I'm going to sacrifice my goals, my ambition for the sake of this body because I am one with it. I am no longer my own person. From the moment of baptism on, you are no longer an individual doing your own thing. You're a part of a body, the body of Jesus Christ. I hope you guys are catching on to how significant baptism is. The most significant public event in the course of your life, bar none. Even bigger than your wedding day. Because it declares bigger truths, because it carries bigger consequences. Baptism is huge for us. It's so significant. In God's eyes, there's nothing to match it. And that's why it's our privilege this morning to witness baptism. To see three believers step forward and take this this moment of commitment to say that they will follow Jesus Christ, to join us as as a body of Jesus Christ. This is huge this morning. I'm really glad about how we're getting to do baptism here at Southwood, that it's at the end, the culmination of our service, that we get to do this as the chief act of celebration this morning. We're going to go out in a few minutes and we're going to witness the baptism of Bethany and Jill and Gib. And I want all of you to come. Your kids are being cared for right now in children's ministry. You don't have to go grab them. Leave them there. I want all of us to go. The baptismal is literally on the other side of this wall at the little rose bed out there. About half of you can follow me out of these doors if you're here in the front of the auditorium. Rest of you can go out the back doors and you'll be right there. Please don't leave. Please join. This is the biggest public event in the lives of these three folks. So come join us. Afterwards, what I'm going to ask you to do, we're going to have a coffee social slash reception for these folks in the foyer. So just come right back into the church, grab food, grab coffee, stay a while, get to know one another. If you see any of the three of them, shake their hand, tell them how much you love them, how much you care about what they did today. Uh, Thank them for what they're doing today. Let's do this as a family. This is a family thing for us. So right now, really stand up and let's go. We're walking right outside.